Hello everyone, it's Rena Jadav. Welcome to Heal Circle. We are streaming live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 5.30 p.m. PST in order to help us all stay sane through this pandemic. Um, clearly no one saw it coming, and so we must make the best use of our time at home with our loved ones. So our format for these live streams is pretty simple. We always kick off with a nice little meditation to calm ourselves down. And then we have a live Q&A with an expert. Uh, we've done two of these before. If you're interested in the recordings, we had a, a, a pretty exciting meditation session. We did three different types of uh, meditations. And I invite you to listen to the recording um, on HealCircles.org. And the second one that we did was on supplements. All right, today we are super excited to have Dr. Vanila Singh with us. She's um, one of the most impressive women of our time. She's at Stanford practicing right now. She's been with the administration, um, traveling the country for the last year or so. We will have, of course, the link to her bio in our show notes so you can learn more about her. But she's joining us today. But to start us off, we have Jesseline who is going to lead us into a meditation. Jocelyn, welcome. Thank you, Rina. Um, so we can just get started. Um, I'll start with a few thoughts. So we're all inundated with overload of news, hysteria, anxiety, opinions, um, plus various studies being published each day. Not the healthiest bit for our mind and bodies. So I recently came across Gandhiji ke bandar teen saying, which says, Burana dekho, burana suno, burana kaho. So in other words, refrain from indulging in negative conversations. Ironically, he didn't mention burana socho as thoughts randomly come to all of us. But what we do with these thoughts make or break us. So our job is to increase our consciousness and participate in raising collective consciousness of our community and our planet. So I'm thankful for this thought and let's be silent for five seconds and take this thought in before we begin our meditation. Any words or thoughts that tighten or cringe our bodies make us uncomfortable and physically sick. Let's practice releasing them from our mind and body through meditation and invite positive energy of white light from the infinite universe above to replenish us. So we start with sitting on the floor in a crisscross applesauce asana or on a chair while keeping our spinal cord straight where it is not slouching. Now close your eyes, if that's comfortable for you, and focus on your breath. Now imagine mentally connecting the end of your spinal cord, the coccyx area next to your hips, with an infinite string to the center or core of the earth. While acknowledging and thanking Mother Earth for all she does for you. Now imagine a color that is soothing to you that you take from Mother Earth via this string and allow it to enter and circulate through your body, starting with your toes, feet, calves, knees, thighs, coccyx, your reproductive organs, your tummy, your belly button, your heart, your throat chakra, where you communicate to the world through, rising up to the area between your eyebrows and eventually the center of your skull. Now, go back from your center of your skull to the toes of your body, collecting all the negative energy that does not serve you. 
any stale projects or ideas that do not serve your higher purpose and release them into the earth with love. And thank Mother Earth for recycling them into positive energy. Now divert your energy to the universe above and its abundant positive white light and invite it to enter into your body and mind, starting from your own crown chakra in the middle of your skull, center of your skull. Imagine the white light reaching the area between your eyebrows and then traveling to your throat, your heart chakra, your belly button, tummy, reproductive organs, coccyx, legs, toes, and ultimately imagining a rain of white light all over you and your loved ones. My prayer for you is that I hope you all will choose wisely how to spend your time, allow only valid news for a brief period each day to enter your ecosystem, disconnect, be silent, go within, or choose to, your, to spend your time doing what you love and what makes you happy. Namaste. May the light within me say hello to the light within you. Thank you. Beautiful. 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 Thank you so much, Aslaine. So appreciate you taking the time out to come do this meditation with us. And I absolutely love the idea of us taking a step back and saying, I choose not to think thoughts that disturb me. Um, I'm at peace. I'm a still beautiful lake. And I refuse to bring thoughts inward that create ripples, um, ripples of fear, ripples of anxiety, ripples that are disconcerting. You know, I had a call with a family, a loved one this morning, and um, she was telling me how anxious she was um, just listening to all the things that are happening, looking at videos, someone very close to home is, you know, the whole family's in the hospital. And she said, I made a decision. I was going to turn everything off. A bunch of us women got on uh, a live webinar and we just chatted and, I, you know, we just made silly jokes and we sang out of tune and I just felt better. I felt like I could breathe again. So for those who are struggling, like, um, one of my family members in dealing with the situation of being isolated at home and being bombarded with a lot of negativity that's coming at us, you know, make a choice, make a decision that you're going to limit how much of that information you take in. What I have personally done is I have an app called Smart Muse and I choose when I decide to take a look at that app and see if there's anything I've missed. I haven't watched any of the White House briefings. All my dearest, dearest friends do that for me, and they give me summary bullets. Uh, and I'm so grateful to them for being in the front lines and listening to um, very stressful uh, discourse. But this way, I'm controlling how much anxiety I'm building into myself. So that's my little quick tip is, Choose when you want to be exposed. And if you're already feeling anxious, for crying out loud, turn off your cell phone and go for a walk. Um, turning on that cell phone and looking at more news is not going to help your anxiety for the next, I would say, at least 30 days. It's just, it's just better not to um, get deeper into anxiety. All right. Well, with that said, let's move on to the second part of our um, live stream today, which is Dr. Vanila Singh. My God, she is um, one of the most fascinating practicing physicians with a heart of gold who's taking the time out today to chat with us. Vanila, welcome. Thank you so much, Rina, for having me. It's great to be here amongst the healing circle. 
Thank you. So, you know, before we get started, could you share just a little bit about your very illustrious background and bio for those of our folks who are not familiar with you? Absolutely. Thanks. Um, so I am a Bay Area native uh, and I am a physician on faculty at Stanford School of Medicine, where I've been practicing for 16 years. And uh, for the last um, really two and a half years, uh, I had served as the chief medical officer at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and that's the lead uh, federal agency that um, people may know encompasses NIH, CDC, FDA, and other very important parts of our um, health policy arena. And um, I recently returned back and um, am back at uh, Stanford. Uh, and among, behind that, I have a background in molecular and cell biology, as well as economics. Um, and I'm a mother of two, a seventh and eighth grader, and uh, married to a great guy, and um, really happy to be here. Thank you so much. So let's get started with the basic question that I'm getting from everyone. Now, you're, you're at Stanford, you're a physician, so you're obviously getting to experience some of this onslaught. How worried should people be? Well, so that's a really great question. Um, obviously, I, my philosophy is really to espouse uh, a firm, uh, informed person, uh, but one who's also firmly calm. And so worry is probably uh, very natural, and I empathize with that. But uh, what we really can do in this is follow the guidelines, and through that course, we'll likely come out okay. And uh, I say that in the midst of um, understanding what the data is and the greater context that this still remains for the most part, low risk for most people. And then to understand who are the high risk folks is something that I think would allow folks to know when they need to take certain precautions. And once you understand that uh, and do your part and kind of contribute to ensuring that um, you're helping others around you, I think you can come to a better place where worry is not so much it, but you're an active person doing your part to ensure we come out on the better end of this. You know, I think some of the fear and worry, Vanilla, comes from not knowing the truth. I think there's um, some fake news, a lot of hypothesis, assumptions, and there's a lot of lack of clarity in general. And so one question I have for you that I know I have been asked multiple times myself is what can we believe? So let's just very quickly do a rundown of, of the truth as we know it, right? So mm -hmm. one, does it spread through air? There are some new um, murmurers that I'm hearing about how this woman went to a single buffet and everyone who was at that buffet was infected, which would mean that it wasn't just droplets because at a buffet you're taking food and putting in your plate you're not necessarily spitting into the food that as you're walking by so if she was able to infect everybody well that means that there might be some some carrier piece to it that's by air what are you hearing how does it spread so uh the real uh concern is contact to contact uh so that's uh, direct contact through respiratory droplets. So when you sneeze or cough, as people have heard, um, it kind of creates this plume and that those droplets are there and they can infect a person near you through your nose or mouth, okay? Um, and uh, being airborne and, and staying there is, is an issue. It's particularly probably most concerning for those who are doing medical procedures where there's airborne concerns, but the likely means of transmission is either through the respiratory droplets uh, or direct to direct contact. Um, and uh, a lot of other things are um, being considered. Uh, there is a recent NIH study that came out last week uh, that was looking at um, how long the virus survives on actual surfaces. And you may have seen this. Um, so it seems to be that in the air, it can be around for a few hours. Uh, on say cardboard, it could be around for maybe 24 hours. And then on steel or plastic, even up to a few days. Uh, so we know that, but then the question is, how much does that actually contribute to transmission? What is the likelihood that you're getting enough of viral load to actually uh, become sick from it? Like we would a cold or a uh, flu. And in, uh, you know, so those are some of the things that I think the scientists around the world are cooperating on to really best understand. But um, most important is really to follow the guidance uh, that uh, 
the social distancing comes into play. The six feet really uh, precludes um, the plume from infecting you from the respiratory um, droplets, uh, ensuring that you have great hand washing hygiene, uh, that you're frequently hand washing. And when you know you've come into public contact with any number of surfaces, that you're taking the common sense measures that are being out there. Uh, finally, the, the real reason to limit the social gatherings, which we have been doing here, is also to prevent the situation that you mentioned. Um, and why does it matter? So most people are going to, if they do get infected, will likely have a mild uh, illness that is similar to a cold uh, or maybe, you know, a flu, myalgias, muscle aches, fever, and other symptoms and likely come through it. Uh, however, our real goal is to contain this. So number one, the folks who are high risk uh, don't get infected because they have a more moderate to severe illness and possibly even worse. Uh, and two, that buys time. And the buying of time is really important because as this virus makes its way in society, if it doesn't overwhelm the medical system, we have time to figure out uh, therapeutics that attenuate or lessen the severity of the disease for those who are high risk, and also lessen the transmission risk, uh, and finally um, in allow us time to get the vaccine uh, to the public. Absolutely. There are some numbers just very recently that came out saying something like 70% of Californians will be infected. What numbers are you hearing? Is, is that possibly a fact that we should anticipate because it is so contagious that at some point most of us would have experienced the coronavirus, except based on our immune system and based upon the strength of our body, we will react either with minimal symptoms as we're seeing a lot of those that are healthy have minimal symptoms. And then of course there will be those that will heavily pay the price. Um, are you, are you, do you feel the same way that this isn't something that we're going to be able to prevent from infecting a very, very large number of people? So that modeling, that number of 70% or some people have said 50%, those are all based on um, various different models that have been done to really see what are best case and worst case scenarios and everything in between so that we have the resources uh, through medical equipment uh, and um, personnel and uh, capacity to address this. Um, and so it's possible. It all really depends on um, you know, what we're seeing. So if you look abroad, uh, it looks like um, some of the other countries have uh, started to show containment. Certainly China is reporting that it has. Germany is stating that they have, may have flattened the curve. Um, and the mortality rate differs based on demographics. We are in a very evolving learning situation because this is a novel virus, meaning it's new to the human race. It was likely uh, in, in an uh, animal reservoir um, and, and I believe that's bats, uh, just like the MERS virus and the SARS virus in the past. So it coming into the human race, understanding its characteristics are kind of what actually the CDC and really all of my colleagues in science and um, academic places or biotech uh, or even government are looking at. And so some of that remains to be seen, but you know, they're very closely cooperating. Uh, the White House today was, um, and I didn't watch the whole conference because I was working on other things, but uh, there was uh, a clear mention that there's a great cooperation with Europe in, in terms of them sharing their data, which is really important because France and Spain, for example, experiencing this very differently than Germany or the UK. And, um, and that actually helps us because even within the United States, our different uh, counties to cities to states are also, um, you know, experiencing this very different. And we're also learning things that may play a role. For example, male mortality is greater uh, and understanding what are the underlying reasons or those, uh, you know, issues that pertain to all men or could it be underlying issues related to hypertension or could it be that, uh, you know, in South Korea where most, it was a majority of women who were infected but a majority of men who died um, did they also have other issues, perhaps smoking? So we're in a very evolving situation where the information is going to help the scientists and the doctors kind of come to terms with it. But it, it really goes to show, if you really even think about this, viruses in, in the human race have affected people differently. Mm -hmm. That's not a new uh, phenomenon. 
what's new is just understanding how COVID-19 is really going to play out. Very true. And there's some interesting new symptoms being reported, including a loss of smell and taste. And so to your point, as we get larger statistics in the U.S., we'll start to perhaps um, learn a little bit more and start to model this better in terms of predicting which are the ones that have symptoms that are going to have a full-blown coronavirus episode versus they just have the flu. Um, you know, one of the things, um, Dr. Vanila, I get asked a lot is, what the heck is social distancing? I mean, everyone talks about it, right? Socially distanced, but practically, you're four people in a house. Should you be socially distanced? So, so I'm going to break this question down for you and then just have you answer each of these questions. So one, people living in a house together, what does social distancing mean for them? Should, should we even bother with it? Or if you're in a house, you're kind of screwed to begin with. Yeah, so I mean, the, the idea is that in the house, you have not socially distanced. I mean, you've already likely, it's your family, you've come into contact if you're parents with kids or even grandparents and stuff. Um, so you are um, not likely socially distancing. However, uh, within the household where distancing matters is if you have a high-risk person or someone who may be symptomatic that you um, go ahead and give them a separate room and bedroom. Um, and when you go outside in groups, I mean, if you're going out with the people you live with and you're already in close contact with, uh, just because you're in public doesn't mean you necessarily socially um, distance yourself from them, which is the six feet apart, um, which should take care of the um, risks of the two to three feet of the plume that you get with the sneezing or coughing. Once you're outside, though, and uh, it's folks that you aren't exposed to and living with, then you really want to make sure to limit the transmission from someone who may have it uh, is to keep that uh, distance. And it's literally what it's saying, socially distancing yourself. What, you know, when people are walking out and about or they're going into the grocery store. Um, and if you, by chance, um, you know, are concerned or feel like you came in touch, the best thing, of course, is to um, wash your hands with soap for 10 to 20 seconds uh, or hand sanitize uh, and ensure that you don't touch your face because most people do that automatically really without thinking it's a reflex and if you have come in contact with somebody inadvertently you certainly um you know don't touch your face now if you feel like somebody coughed and you were within the realm of it the most important thing is if you feel like that was really close and it happened um, you can take real real measures to ensure that those folks around you particularly at home um, don't get that so you remain far from them you can quarantine yourself in the house. Uh, and this is really just taking great extra precaution, especially with the high risk folks, uh, which could be parents or grandparents who are 65 years or older, or folks who may be younger or that age, uh, but with uh, underlying medical issues of lung disease, heart disease, diabetes, cancer treatment, et cetera, all things that could potentially lead to a, an immunocompromised state. Would you treat people that have been smokers in the same category? Because given what we've heard about the fact that it impacts lungs, it's, it's primarily a lung-driven um, disease. Yes. People who smoke, we know that they have a lower capacity for their lungs, uh, a, a lower lung function. Should they just treat themselves as if they are also in that category, even if they don't have a heart condition or diabetes? So I think that's uh, fair too, because, you know, of course it all depends on how much someone smokes and how long they've smoked for, but the idea is that they have some form of compromised lung function, you know, some decreased capacity to, um, you know, handle that uh, airborne or respiratory illness. And so, you know, what I say in general is that if you have any of the aforementioned conditions, any of the medical issues we talked about, or are concerned about something that you have uh, may put you at risk, um, you know, there's no downside to taking extra caution. Um, but I say that with a caveat that um, you don't want to do that to the point where you're so anxious and fearful, which, you know, I really appreciated just lean starting off with the meditation, uh, because really, I think we're also at this very important point in society where 
the fear is um, real and it's chronic and it, the stress and anxiety is uh, lending itself to people where they are um, so worried and the worry itself doesn't combat the illness. You can be extremely well-informed, take all the great precautions and do all that's right to avoid the risk of contracting this or transmitting it as a good citizen. But, um, you know, folks feel like somehow the, the fear and worry come with it. And, and that's, I think, one of the big points that I really want to relay is that uh, fear and anxiety are definitely not good health consequences for anybody and uh, likely over time lend themselves to uh, a number of diseases. Um, also, um, if you think about being calm, cool, and collected, where these sayings come from, it's that it allows us to think clearly for ourselves and make good judgment. And that's really important right now, whether it's taking care of your kids or while you're at home coming up with um, good activities that are healthy. You know, you want to um, ensure that we're doing everything that we can uh, to uh, get through this uh, without untoward effects, things that I call unforced errors, you know, things that we can actually control and, and try to uh, really take advantage perhaps of having time that we never expected, read some books, learn some languages. I think Dr. Oz the other day was saying, you know, go and, and make this, you know, turn it to a positive if you can uh, while we're dealing with the um, challenging crisis. Absolutely. Um, we have lots of questions coming in, but um, groceries. Is it okay to get groceries? Is it okay to get takeout? Or is there still a concern around contamination? So groceries are important. Uh, actually, you know, you saw early on people went to the stores and just... Um, you know, stocked up. And that's because there's a great fear that, you know, no matter how long this goes for, um, you know, are we going to be um, not able to get the food supply chain? You can do it, but you do it with the idea that, look, you're going to go there. A lot of stores actually have the wipes to wipe down the cart. Um, but, you know, you're going to touch things that are um, public surfaces. And, and just like I said, um, you be mindful that you did that. You have the hand sanitizer or go and hand wash at home and just be aware that you are trying to limit the, the risk of uh, getting it from public surfaces. And again, even though we know that the virus can sit on these surfaces, um, we also know that a lot of the businesses are going uh, really out of their way to clean shop and um, make this uh, less of an issue. In terms of packages, uh, the issue really comes up with the concern of the cardboard material having the virus on it for up to 24 hours. One of the ways to uh, combat that is really to allow those packages to sit outside for a day. Then you feel kind of feel like, look, the virus probably um, isn't alive. But, you know, we take food deliveries. Um, there's online uh, packages that are coming in. If you handle it, go wash your hands. Same thing, um, do the frequent hand washing. You can wipe down the surfaces if you're really concerned or more importantly, if you live with somebody who might be at risk for the more severe uh, illness that, that can come with the COVID-19. So it's, it's a, a theme, as you can see, um, that, that comes about, which is great caution and making it good habits. I mean, these are habits that we want to do with this uh, more contagious virus, but in general, these are habits that uh, we want to do with um, cold and flu season anyway. Absolutely. And for a lot of people, they don't have the option of not ordering a package or not getting food delivered, right? We understand, and frankly, for businesses, you know, let's help our local economy. So I see a lot of messages back and forth. Hey, you know, I've ordered this food or this grocery box is being delivered. So the question is, how to be safe. And as you mentioned, we have, you know, cardboard boxes could be a day, you could leave it out. But if it's food, we want to eat it now. Um, in terms of sanitizing, so the question is, should we be spraying everything that comes in with something strong like bleach or alcohol, or is just washing and rinsing in hot water? So for example, let's take a real example. I ordered a box of veggies because those things just don't last. Mm -hmm. So every week you've got to order some, a veggie box, right? Mm -hmm. So here comes my veggie box from, let's just say Safeway, because mm -hmm. Safeway delivers now. Mm -hmm. And I 
let's just say, okay, I wore gloves. You can have, that's what I've been doing, disposable gloves. Mm -hmm. You open the box with disposable gloves. You take your groceries out. You take them to your sink. Now, is it enough to wash everything with just hot water? Or do you recommend also spraying it with something in order to kill any virus that might have gotten stuck to it as a carrier? So it's hot water and soap if you are soaping it, uh, just okay. like you would with hands. Uh, but with the wipes, uh, you know, of course, the Clorox bleach, the ones that state that they kill the 99.9% um, .9 of the viruses or bacteria. And that's if, you know, you're, you're playing it safe. And um, I don't want to spray bleach on my fruits and vegetables. So that's where I, you know, this would be the containers. This is not, okay. you're talking, this is a container. So how long okay. um, it lasts on the actual material of the cardboard or the steel or plastic surfaces uh, in terms of the um, vegetables and whatnot. Yeah. I, I would, I would go with the um, usual cleaning. And like I said, one of the, um, important things is that certainly the big stores and chains are, are you know, heeding this because they have, um, you know, a, a responsibility right now when you think about the grocery store clerks and the folks who work there and are delivering the food to maintain this food supply chain uh, to really keep the calm in society. So um, they're, they're likely already taking precautions. So when you are taking further precautions, I mean, again, you're just minimizing the risks and risks always exist. There's risks and benefits and you're kind of doing the risk benefit and assessment. Uh, and so I would say that, you know, obviously you don't want to put chemicals uh, and, and bleach on your fruits or vegetables, but the containers are probably what you're thinking of. And at that, um, not everybody is um, doing it. I think the most important things are the things that if people can socially distance, if they can do the frequent hand washing when in contact with um, uh, surfaces, um, if they can be aware, um, for example, if uh, to uh, avoid transmitting it to people who may be high risk, if in fact they are concerned about it, if they have, if they develop symptoms of a cold or a fever or cough or anything that really indicates a cough or flu as we think of it, um, that that's really the time to you can call ahead to your healthcare professional, but if it's mild and they, you know, you, you aren't uh, able to get there, then you, you want to self quarantine and start to think about others. Those are the measures that will make a difference. Uh, and in, in so far as taking the precautions with cardboard surfaces and others, uh, what you talked about with wipes, um, that that's precisely why the stores have the wipes, why people have the wipes at home and why soap and water can work. Uh, but, it's, it's really understanding the greater, larger picture that matters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk about walking because if all of us are going to be stuck inside, we're all going to go completely crazy. <laughs> Our divorce lawyers are going to be so happy a few months down the road. So for all of our sanity, I think it's just so important for people just to get out. And of course, sitting in your backyard, not an issue. Going for a walk by yourself, no one around you. I'm assuming no issue, correct? Yeah. So, you know, getting fresh air, uh, you know, the only concerns that people have had when people have gone outside in the last couple of weeks is when uh, there was like video footage of some, you know, some folks playing basketball. So here's a ball that's coming in contact and you're really not social distancing. Uh, so yeah, just keeping that six feet to the best of your ability is really, really important because you are partaking in slowing the transmission and containing this virus uh, and containing it is really important because it buys our society time to ensure that we're not overburdening our healthcare um, uh, system. And I can speak to that, by the way, because uh, doctors and nurses and other folks in the hospitals are working, um, you know, obviously at greater risk, but more importantly, they are using uh, personal protective equipment and. Um, you know, if you keep yourself from transmitting this or having to use the system itself, you know, you're using up equipment, you're using up personnel. And so we all play a role in trying to contain this individually as a community, as a society, as a world. And that's why these things matter. So getting out, good, getting fresh air is great. I can walk out right now on my balcony or go out on the driveway and get fresh air, walk around a bit, perhaps with my kids or my husband. But 
taking care when you see other folks to maintain that distance is just you taking care to ensure that you are part of the solution and not um, becoming a part of the problem. Especially because most of us are asymptomatic right now. And I think that's the concern is it has a long enough gestation time where so many of us could be infected, but we're asymptomatic. And so we're out there thinking everything's fine. And in the meantime, we're by mistake, unwittingly infecting others. So I, I agree with you, six feet, you know, we've had a bit of a scandal in our community where folks were playing golf and then suddenly there was this, this of course, because we're humans, right? So it started with people playing golf by themselves. Then it grew from that into people playing golf with their family members, which all seems very kosher. And then next thing you know, you know, there's like, two families hanging out on, you know, hole 12 and people saying, what is going on? This is not meant to be a party on the 12th hole. And I think that just speaks to the innate nature of human beings that just want to connect with each other. And it's so hard. Um, right now they're saying it's two weeks. So, you know, my suggestion to everyone is if you don't think you can keep to that six foot distance, don't go out where you might be tempted to go hug someone or um, by somebody else who's not smart enough. Um, my poor mom was getting pressured. It was hysterical. She's like, what do I do? This lady keeps pressuring me. She's like, it's just me. I'll come over and we'll hang out and we'll have tea. And she's like, I told her my daughter will, will never forgive me. You know, you can't come to my house. My daughter has made her lockdown. I said, good, give me her number. Let me call and tell her that auntie, you're, what you're doing is not right. So it's, it, you get to see humanity as well, right, at this point. It's hard because, like you said, I mean, look, our habits are uh, to uh, be, you know, sociable and have the, you know, civic manners uh, to be kind and compassionate, and that comes with a warmth particularly in the uh, in our community and so you know it it takes it, it takes an effort to really understand this uh, and you know I, I don't blame others but you know getting the message across in a kind good way I mean look the spring breakers these are young kids they most of them were saying that um, they're not gonna have a bad illness they'll probably get something mild symptoms and they're mm -hmm. right and they'll recover uh, and it was trying to just get across to them that it's not just that, that in this case, again, we're flattening the curve. We're trying to limit the peak of number of patients to come to the medical system where we uh, suddenly have a shortage of beds or um, you know, uh, ICU equipment or whatever it might be. And we just don't want that to happen. And so we're trying to flatten this curve. And it takes time for um, uh, you know, young folks who feel invincible to understand that. It takes time for people with warm cultures to understand that. And um, that's just something that is kind of a new era. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, having said all that, I mean, we are, it's, it's March and really probably two months ago is when the United States really starts to, to understand you know, that this was um, happening. I think, uh, you know, some of the formal um, agencies were informed and, uh, you know, look at, we've moved pretty fast here in the Bay Area. We were shelter in as of last week and now the state and now New York and, um, and this is a rapidly evolving situation. And uh, I think, you know, People are trying to do the best they can with the information. You've seen the commercials on TV from the National Broadcasting um, Association giving these, um, you know, coronavirus.gov uh, commercials to really help explain this and move it along. I mean, these are in record time. Uh, I mentioned the. Do you think we need trial. to shut down the country, though, Vanilla? Well, I, you know, I, the, the question is what, um, what are we going to get out of that? And, um, you know, there's ramifications to everything. Uh, and so you really want to see what is going to be most needed. And right now, for example, New York, uh, yeah, probably needs to be and continue to be on lockdown because their cases are huge. Almost half the cases in the United States, as of today, to my understanding, are in, the United, are in New York City. And talk about an evolving situation. We knew it started to have the breakout in the nursing home in Washington State. And then, uh, of course, Santa Clara County came on the radar. But, you know, where this 
plays out and pans out. Right now it's New York City and they are, um, you know, working on this and in a huge number of ways. So, uh, you know, would you institute the same thing perhaps in, um, you know, Oklahoma or Nebraska? Um, you know, I think that the educational message is across and hopefully they can avoid some of that. Um, but ultimately, if, if, you know, we start to see those trends and, you know, the folks at all levels of government, because this is really all hands on deck and the whole of the U.S. Uh, and, and America, it is, uh, they're watching these statistics. And I think that um, the governors are communicating every day with the president, the vice president, and um, are, um, you know, making those decisions. So it's yeah. not like they're learning this from the news. They're, they're in coordination and cooperation. Mm -hmm. I just worry we're delaying the inevitable. If I look at what's happened in Italy and now Spain and, and UK, I feel like we're hoping we're an exception, but there's almost a negligible statistical chance that we are an exception and that New York is just the first place with the explosive numbers because that's just how the spread began in US and of course Washington and California because we probably have a, a, a more aggressive China traffic. I know for sure in Silicon Valley, we have a lot of interaction with China flying back and forth, especially the VC community and the startup community. Um, I, I, I deeply worry that we're delaying and that if we did just do a lockdown, we'd be able to potentially save ourselves from some of the uh, pain that's that's down the road but you know what we have so many questions here so let me can you comment on Zinthromax and chloroquinine or other treatments okay doctor what are you seeing as treatments especially at Stanford have you seen any cases and how are you dealing with uh, that so uh, just to speak on hydroxychloroquine the anti-malarial uh, and uh, azithromycin the antibacterial there have been uh, clear anecdote reports reported by uh, the Corona Task Force folks and others that, uh, uh, including a study out of France, that this is holding some promise. Uh, the president has expressed great optimism. Uh, the scientists uh, naturally uh, it's always state, hey, look, we know that this is a 65-year-old drug that's been utilized, so that's the upside, and we're ahead of the curve in that, being able to use a drug that we already know about. They want to see how it pans out with the folks with COVID, but it, it is definitely something for compassionate use. Today, one of the actors, Daniel Kim, came out saying from Hawaii that he was diagnosed with it, had the symptoms, and is a lot better. So I think there's great promise there, and I can uh, almost, uh, you know, state that, look, um, the U.S. has just ordered uh, many doses. I think other countries have been utilizing it. Uh, and, you know, this isn't something that I know for certain, but uh, there were some comments today about the areas that have malaria endemically that utilize these agents as anti-malarials are also showcasing fewer cases. So there might be great promise there. There's also other therapeutics that are in the making and, uh, you know, a lot of folks who are understanding of the inflammatory response that comes with the acute respiratory syndrome, ARDS, um, and um, are looking at how to attenuate and lessen those symptoms. So there's really an amazing uh, outpouring from the um, uh, private sector uh, with the public and private sector working together, uh, as has been called on by the White House for therapeutics, vaccinations, diagnostics, and, and other means in terms of the medical side of this. Great. What insight can you share with us on testing? So as we understand, there's a lot of companies that are accelerating release of tests. There's some very positive news with respect to uh, at-home tests, drive-through tests. When do you think we might, if at all ever, have the option of doing what uh, one of the towns in Europe did, which is everybody gets tested, uh, not just those with severe symptoms? Do you think there's a path that that's being built to that, where everybody gets tested? So, you know, the, the thing is right now, asymptomatic testing is not indicated. And so think about it like this, okay? If you have no symptoms and you go and you get a test, that test says you're negative. You're only negative for that time. And then what do you do in the next 24 hours, right? You're not gonna get tested every day um, and so I think it, it's more about people who are asymptomatic and yet test positive, because those are the ones that really need to be on lockdown. 
more than even people that are actually positive because it's these asymptomatic that have created the biggest crisis of all by getting more people infected. Yeah, it it all depends on the amount of viral shedding and what point you are and who you're around and what measures you're taking in terms of the cautious measures that um, CDC and, uh, you know, all have laid out in terms of social distancing. So yes, if you're asymptomatic and you're positive, but you're going around and doing everything you're not supposed to, that's a problem. But if you're asymptomatic and positive or symptomatic and positive, and you're following the guidelines, then you're not likely to infect people. So that's why it's important to follow the guidelines mm-hmm. uh, because knowing that you're positive, um, if, if you suspect you're positive, if you're concerned about being positive, you feel the symptoms coming on and they're very mild, um, assume you're positive and act accordingly. And, and the, you know, in a country like South Korea where they were very aggressive on testing, uh, at least a few days ago, it was 51 million people in the nation, and their aggressive testing was around 290,000 people. So, by no means is everyone tested. What's the people who get tested are those who may have either traveled or come in contact, uh, or you know may have uh, been traced as someone who may have come in contact, uh, because uh, it's it's again it's it's not the testing, it's the um, actions that come from that. And, uh, and of course, the um, uh, therapeutics and hopefully the vaccination down the road. Uh, having said that, there are criteria to get tested. And that, that's something that's really important in terms of those who are um, high risk for any reason uh, or exhibiting um, more than mild symptoms. And if there's any question about that, I know the websites are up, but certainly calling ahead to your healthcare professional you will get the advice that you need in terms of where you should go. Uh, right now, also, one other thing on testing is that testing, uh, if you don't have symptoms and you just go and get tested and you're a negative, so one, you know, that doesn't help anything. But two, if you do go, that medical provider who has to test you has to wear personal protective equipment. And in a time of shortage, um, it's uh, something that, again, takes up uh, the PPE that's really needed for other situations. So that's that's kind of what the discussions are like right now. What's the protocol right now if someone does come in? So just for our awareness, right? So someone gets extremely symptomatic, difficulty breathing. Walk me through the process. Of course, in your case, it would be at Stanford. What's the protocol right now? Is there a triage where they call in and then they get triaged in, they come in, what treatments are being done and how well is it working? Yeah, so, um, you know, it really depends on the individual situation, on what your um, own health is and what the likelihood was that you may have been exposed or, or, you know, what your current symptoms are. But when you call ahead, um, you know, the real key thing is um, not to um, go to the emergency room, of course, unless you have um, moderate to severe symptoms or you have symptoms, but you're um, in the high risk category of medical conditions or age. And that's really, again, to not burden the system because you know, the influx of people is huge. And not to mention that there are still people who have a need urgent medical care that is not um, COVID-19 related. Uh, So, you know, to just kind of generalize and not get too into the details, um, the best way forward is to call ahead and uh, find out if you're a candidate who needs testing. Uh, And again, I think that um, you're right about the promises of, a quicker diagnostic testing. What, what would be really great is if people can test themselves. Um, but you know, it's about getting enough of a sample uh, to do the polymerase, uh, polymerase chain reaction that's necessary. Uh, but they may have other means to actually detect the virus. Uh, they're just um, there's a lot going out there right now in innovation. Uh, but until that happens, you know, the drive-through or the clinic or kind of the faraway testing uh, will be important really to limit the resources and the medical personnel. And how is Dr. Vanilla Singh taking care of herself and her family? What, tell us about your supplements, your routine. How are you staying safe? Oh, well, I, I will tell you my husband's probably most, uh, you know, more exposed being uh, he's, um, you know, uh, working day and night and, uh, you know, we're just trying to keep calm. And um, I think the caretaker uh, kind of 
physician mentality is usually to care for others. And sometimes in those situations, you fare well because you're not thinking too much about it. Um, you're trying to reassure people. I, I always am saying prepare for the worst, but um, hope for the best. And I uh, try to keep that attitude definitely with my kids. And, um, you know, in this era where we're like homeschooling and um, out and about and, you know, in the sense of, you know, going to um, the, you know, hospitals or clinics, um, you know, so many of my colleagues are on the front lines and they're working really hard. And, you know, I think they're um, really trying to uh, showcase that they can reassure and be there at a very challenging time. I mean, certainly not unlike anything I've ever seen. And I was in New York City on 9-11 as a fellow. And, you know, when I think about that, that, that was pretty tough as a doctor to be there and to uh, wait for victims that never really showed up. But there was a lot of fear, uh, but it was also, um, you know, contained, if you will. My hope is that we'll come out of this uh, rather faster. And I do believe in innovation in America and people really stepping up. It's been amazing to watch and to hear about. And, you know, that gives me a lot of hope. And uh, I carry a positive message, but, not in the sense to dismiss any of this, this is serious, uh, but more because uh, we really have to be reassured and, and be the people who reassure around us. Absolutely. Well, gosh, any parting advice for everyone out there, Vanilla? What else should we be doing or thinking about? Well, I would say try not to watch every single uh, event, uh, you know, the uptick in mortality or this or that, because to me, this, these are just things that are not changing uh, the, um, you know, course for what an individual can do. Uh, so go in, say that, look, I'm going to be informed today at such and such time, but then, you know, um, take care of yourself. And that comes through, um, you know, having good conversation with your kids, your family, call up your friends, check on your friends, parents, or whomever, and, um, and, you know, be the reassuring force. Um, this is, uh, you know, also some people are doing really interesting things. I mean, they're bonding, they're, they're having conversations that they haven't had with their family in so long. And uh, I would also say, take care of yourself in, in nutrition, in health, uh, because we know that that always plays a very important role in our mind-body uh, situation. And, and that's probably the best you can do for yourself is really to maintain that homeostasis that we can do. And for those who have other medical problems that may be nervous about this, um, we have really interesting unprecedented telemedicine and telehealth that has just like cut through the red tape. And I think that's really interesting and neat. And I think that pushes us forward. You know, we've really advanced as a society through the most challenging of times. And so some of those things we're witnessing. And so my hope is that we come through this uh, fine and that we find ourselves on the other side, having been wiser and perhaps more compassionate than we were before. Absolutely. And actually, there is a question that I personally have is I have so many friends that are in healthcare and I worry deeply about their health and as for example you what are you seeing with respect to PPE have you seen any um, deals being done to get protective equipment also there's been a lot of talk about how the equipment in China versus um, Italy you kind of see how they're in these awesome suits and then you come to the US and it's sort of hair nets and little masks um, well, it all depends on the procedure and the patient. So when they show clips, they're not showing all of the patients, uh, but those are, uh, Italy is, you know, afflicted by, you know, it's the older, second oldest population, I think, in the world. And so they are at high risk, and many of them have the severe disease, and the mortality rate reflects that. So that is a different scenario and different situation when you compare it to, for example, in South Korea, where that did not play out, uh, thankfully. And so, um, you know, comparing apples and oranges is, you know, just knowing that, look, there's reasons and some of that information that is there, like the U.S. is not responding in a certain way, the best of the best are on this. And I mean that from the infectious disease side, the policymakers, the governors, the um, you know departments of public health throughout the nation, and um, 
you know, things are not perfect when you look and you try to poke holes, but you know, I have been telling folks that it's like the patient is still on the table and it's like someone asking, you know, uh, what could you have done better in the first 15 minutes of this case? And, you know, we're not through the case yet. And so we, we need to get through this. Uh, I have seen an incredible amount of um, information and innovation and scientific advancement that I think from uh, this perspective is, is pretty amazing. And, uh, and, you know, people are coming to the forefront that um, have the knowledge when you think about that vaccine trial that, by the way, I don't know if you know the details on that, but I think it's really interesting. I shared it. Um, no, please tell us. Yeah, do share. Yeah, that might be really exciting to hear, but, you know, it was 66 days from the sequencing of the virus to vaccination trial in the U.S., amazing. the record. And the virus, uh, dead or alive, is usually what's used for vaccinations, a weakened, alive virus or dead. But in this case, it's not the virus. So the healthy volunteers who have uh, heroically agreed to um, volunteer for this trial in, in Washington state uh, are getting an, an, a, you know, a protein antigen to stimulate the immune response. And they're going to be watched for eight to 12 months to ensure that we understand what the potential side effects or negative adverse effects can be. But here's the point. The first person to get it was a mother of two healthy kids. And how amazing is that? And, uh, you know, that, that began uh, with the NIH um, funding it, but with a biotech company called Moderna mm -hmm. based out of Massachusetts that actually worked on the vaccination for uh, SARS, I believe. Mm -hmm. But they took their know-how uh, from several years ago and brought it to bear. That's being done by hundreds of thousands of companies for all different aspects of this with the government. So and that's, should, that's really amazing. It is. And so we should really see a lot of, I think, General Motors, Tesla, they both, um, I actually tweeted at Elon and it sounds like, you know, he has taken it pretty seriously, get some more ventilators, get some more masks. Uh, we have a friend who shared a picture of a brown bag and he said, you know, this, this is what I have. Uh, and it was basically a brown bag with one mask. Um, so, the, you know, what you're referring to is a repurposing of manufacturing plants. Mm -hmm. So the fact that these um, automobile makers have stepped up and said that they're going to make ventilators, ventilators, uh, as an anesthesiologist, we work with them all the time, which, and by the way, anesthesiologists are uniquely in many ways affected by this, as are my colleagues in the ER, ICU. Uh, but these are not, um, you know, uh, simple machines. So these automakers have stepped up to really actually increase our stockpile because this is a pretty unprecedented event mm -hmm. uh, and no one could really call this, but it also will set the template for future events. Uh, you also see, um, so, you know, when Musk does it or any of the other leaders, I mean, that's, that just shows that, you know, there's a sense of stepping in and, and contributing the um, industrial N95 masks uh, were not uh, legally okayed for healthcare use, even though they were um, also preventive. And so the, I understand that, you know, they uh, remedied that legal thing. And so they're repurposing all these industrial N95 masks to healthcare use. And, um, and then there are folks who, of course, from the smallest of drives to the largest of donors are trying to get the uh, masks and, and use out in some cases to help those that are um, near shortage, but also from others to um, get them stockpiled before, uh, you know, they get in such a situation. Um, we have a very advanced country uh, where, you know, medical centers are not only in the large cities and, and multiple ones, but they're in throughout the nation. And uh, we have a, you know, advanced system, but there's so many places it's vast. And, you know, to coordinate all that is not easy. And it takes, uh, you know, the whole of the government from the federal, state and local folks uh, with in conjunction with the uh, directors and the chief of staffs and the CMOs at the hospitals and the CEO of the hospitals and health systems. And so this is a very complex really amazing response. I can tell you from the Bay Area hospitals here, it's like, 
Um, you know, nothing like I've ever seen. And, you know, we're not out of the woods. They're still trying to figure out protocols and how to do this and screening patients. The cancellation of elective surgeries and procedures is, un, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, because again, this is all in an effort to not get into a situation that perhaps did happen in Italy where their medical, you know, system was overrun. And then they, um, you know, there are some uh, stories out there that they've had to make uh, tough decisions about who they wanted to save. And that's just not an American value in our health system here. And, um, you know, I think we're trying to stay ahead of such a, um, you know, catastrophic situation. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Dr. Vanila Sang, for coming out, chatting with us, sharing your perspective, your insights. Um, if you hear anything new and exciting, please don't be a stranger. Come see us again. We're we'll gonna, do. Yeah. yeah, we're going to be doing this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5.30 p.m., as long as we're in lockdown. So, of course, um, you know, hoping, <laughs> like everybody else, the lockdown <laughs> Yes. No, I'll let you know. And there's things, this is evolving. I mean, literally I have had to, I've not watched the news in a few hours and I'm certain that there's, you know, there's more stuff. So it's an evolving situation. Everybody be fluid. Uh, you know, don't get upset about um, things changing because that's just better science and data informing us and do your best, please uh, share in the responsibility. Awesome. Thank you so much again. And for the rest of you, I'll hopefully see you on Wednesday at 5.30 p.m.